Would we still need physical banks if blockchain takes over? But what about crypto's carbon footprint? Is technology progressing equality? A lot of really good questions here on today's episode of Word on the Block, the series that takes a deeper dive into blockchain and all the emerging technologies that shape our world at the intersection of business, politics, and economy. It's what we cover right here on Forecast News. I'm Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau. Well, Taina Reis grew up in Brazil. She watched her mother take daily trips to the local bank, often spending hours at a time there. Taina would make a play bank at home, waiting for her mom to return. She promised that when she grew up, she would build the bank of all banks and make her mom proud. A bank that did not require all those long trips to a physical brick and mortar. And now that young, self-taught technologist who had a dream to build the bank of all banks, is sitting with us right here today as the co-founder and CEO of blockchain financial services provider and neobank, Moeda Seeds Bank, which offers banking service to the underserved entrepreneurs, women, farmers, and many more. Tana Reis, named one of the 12 young most innovative leaders to watch in Forbes in 2017, and joins us now. Taina, welcome to the show. You grew up in Brazil and it's a real struggle. To, I think for our audience, it'd be great to understand just from your perspective, you know, how Brazil and how banking and, and how that part of the world really struggled with financial services. Well, thank you for having me here. It's a super pleasure. Yes, growing up in Brazil has been challenging and especially to see most of the women-owned businesses not getting uh, a range of financial services that are tailor-made for their businesses, their ideas, and for them to thrive and to succeed along the, the way in their journey, being on, as individuals uh, in informal businesses or larger businesses too especially in the rural areas and as well as the communities, indigenous communities, quilombolas and other minorities that are super deeply affected. Like the average person in Brazil don't have access to the majority of uh, financial services that a wealthy person does. And this is, I, I figured that this is not only a Brazil problem, like in Latin America and Africa and Southeast Asia, many countries don't have the same, but also culturally uh, it's hard for women because Brazil is still very machist country. So many of the wallets and the banking uh, records are in the name of the husband usually and the land and collaterals and things that they need uh, to have access to larger credit or an affordable credit, usually in the name of the man on the house. So this becomes a problem when they, they look for credit and they don't get it. So I've seen many of the women struggling and trying to uh, get uh, access to uh, credit through those department stores cards, like we're <laughs> trying to have a credit to buy a machine um, that uh, for irrigate your coffee or other things that, and you end up like paying thousands of interest rates uh, and crazy percentages for a department store because you don't have access to a, a credit card or financial service uh, uh, from the traditional industry. And also the education, the financial literacy that most uh, don't have. So when you open a banking account, that is the first step 
but also into identity to have an, an ID and then to have the education, proper education to start a business and to build a business plan and to applicate uh, the money uh, on the long term. Many of them, they don't know. Like I grew up uh, even being privileged in a, part, in a school that was like private school. I didn't got access to that as well. Like I in Brazil, the focus was not into being an entrepreneur, but to have those careers into the government or either like into other industries, but they never focused on entrepreneurship. So for me as growing up was a struggle too. And even, even having um, uh, access to other companies and friends, like was hard to raise. Uh, venture capital for my business as being young and women in Brazil, that is hard too. So I found into cryptocurrencies the first way to get access to finance, to be able to finance the business that we have today, I think, to blockchain. Uh, we were able to raise uh, on an ICO, an initial coin offer, uh, the funding that was required to build Moeda. So, <laughs> so that for me was an opportunity that like raising $20 million like, or would be equivalent to a Series A in 2017 was hard thing to do. <laughs> so, so in two weeks, we were able to raise it and still like going amazing. <laughs> you kind of list all of the frustrations um, that, that you're experiencing, you know, from traditional finance to a largely patriarchal system in Brazil and Latin America that really restrict access to finance for women. Uh, and then you place upon that just kind of these social expectations that, you know, you're not necessarily expected to be an entrepreneur. You're, you know, and the system is not set up to support that kind of ambition. And so here you are, you are creating access to liquidity that funds ideas, a new sort of thinking of a bank. Um, it's, it's kind of, you know, what, what you, we are seeing with a lot of uh, projects like Moeda. Um, uniquely in Latin America, uh, there's just a lot of, help us understand just kind of politically what the frustrations are as well for the average everyday person to be able to access funding, to be able to actually do the everyday necessity of banking. Today's a big time of uncertainty. And the, when the COVID hit, bring another level of uncertainty to the people. Both investors, they're looking to that kind of impact investment. They don't trust a lot. Like they want to help, but they don't know why, but they want to verify as well as the, the business is going. So by the first time, like five years ago, when I presented uh, at the UN, like a couple of ideas related to, to Moeda that see, like if you, do you want to invest in someone in Brazil, in a cooperative in Brazil, in a small businesses in Brazil? And people will tell me, no, your politics, this and that is too risky for me. I cannot do it. So I told them like, oh, if we present this application through the app and you can see like step-by-step step to the business, how much they will be spending, 
the their KPIs? Would you invest if you trust uh, the whole thing? And they said, yes, if I can see it uh, in real time, like what they are doing, I would invest and where my money is going. So we created all those metrics and I started to see early on the, the Bitcoin and the underlining technology of blockchain to build that trust. So as more information that we share, more impact metrics that we have and everything that is needed for the people to build that trust, that's where I found the most uh, meaningful um, part of the blockchain technology to, to build that along the way and to be able to measure how many jobs uh, we made and how does the carbon footprint and how sustainable it is the crop that people are investing and to cut the middleman. So today people can invest like you can create the account in Moeda and in three clicks, you'll be able to invest in a women-owned business. And it's as little as one, $1.50, like less than a, and a coffee <laughs> in, a, in, a, in the airport. So now is, there is no barrier with the technology. We can make it easier and affordable for people that are looking for those kinds of investments to make uh, to do good and do well, that doesn't need to be a trade-off. You can have the financial returns as well as the impact, social and environmental return. And through the model, through those years, we have proven that. And you are able to verify to through the blockchain. So those things are, are important for building that bridge of trust in a country like Brazil, where it is like too risky for, for the most uh, of people. When you kind of structured the bank. How how did you want it to work? What what is the philosophy behind it? And what are the step by steps uh, when people want to bank at Moeda? Yeah, the philosophy and our mission is to humanize uh, finances and distributed impact. The main idea is to get like access to capital and access to affordable capital and education to the ones that most need uh, in Brazil. And particular, and we do, uh, we give the preference to the women. We don't exclude men, but <laughs> their preference. So we curate projects our team can help from business plan to co-branding and to think through niche markets and how to put in place services and products. And we can go and guide all through the way through our partners uh, as well. So people can reach out to us and uh, be signed up in one of those programs. We have gamified way to do this microcredit. So even if the women doesn't have any credit history at all, they can come invite all other five women and those will be the support group uh, for her into the journey. They will receive daily quests and KPIs, not only financial KPIs, but also if they reinvest on the women uh, and they uh, hire more women, so they will benefit uh, together through this journey. So we created uh, economic in incentives with tokens uh, along the way so they can receive the benefit of doing good within the ecosystem. And in the other side, for people that want to do the impact investment, super affordable way to, to do it and easily with all the transparency and trust, they can come and look to those projects into our website, create an account and invest uh, right away, either to the cryptocurrency or if it's in Brazil through deposits. Uh, and we also have a partnership with uh, MasterCard. We are part of the Start uh, Path program. So the people in Brazil re do receive a prepaid card 
and we can track and monitor and verify all the expenses uh, into that too to bring all the certainty that is needed that they are applying the money for the reasons uh, that they they are in within the program and as well as we do the metrics and calculate all the the gender uh, equality aspects and everything that on the by the level of the transactions into that too and on the COVID, uh, we launched a payment gateway for marketplaces. So that was the biggest line of credit that we offer because we do anticipate everything that they, they gain from the marketplace and also all the contracts from supermarkets that pay them in 90 days, we anticipate for one day. So that was the biggest line of credit uh, that grew and helps them to plan the crops and like other things. So from uh, one technology, I see all connected in how we can help and support uh, with a, a single account and a, uh, an ID, like how much benefit they can have both on the marketing side and access to more capital and guarantees that they can build upon the time as well. The, they are credit with us and have uh, more and more opportunities. What did blockchain and tokenization and crypto allow you to do as a bank that perhaps a traditional bank could not do? The first thing, as I, as I mentioned, was the funding that came from a non-traditional way. So to build up the bank was able to do through an initial coin offer, the ICO that we made. But after that, like with the currency that we have created, uh, and all the steps like on with uh, cross chain into different protocols. Today we use Ethereum protocol for the main currency, the Stellar protocol for the stable currency. With the stable currency, it's easier for the adoption for the people, but we can measure uh, at, at the level of the transaction, like each dollar, uh, each euro, each reais, each Bitcoin that is going to the project, how many jobs that created and the social and environmental impact by the transaction. So brings another level at extra level of oversharing information that can help to build trust along the way. People want to help, but they want to verify the help, even for the ESG aspects, people want to know, oh, I'm planting trees. I'm like saving this and this person. Yeah. Like where? Where are the trees? Mm -hmm. <laughs> where are the people? Absolutely, and accountability. So we can, absolutely, for accountability is the key uh, I see into blockchain. Even now we have the COP26 and like many discussions on climate change, like to hold every country account accountable and every individual accountable as well. We can benefit from this uh, technology over time. Like we do see opportunities to create different uh, economic models and assets that are sustainable over time that can embrace uh, what we do with coffee, what we do with uh, plantations and crops and even Amazonia. We just launched recently an NFT. Like we see like those types of assets like evolving to different economic models that can benefit uh, in the long run. It's a disruptive idea. There's zero doubt about it. The adoption is, is incredible, especially in Latin America. And it can also be viewed as a little dangerous if you are government. Um, what is the view of Brazil? Um, and what is the view of the political class, the government, as it pertains to the speed in which you know, crypto is being embraced um, and Bitcoin, et cetera, versus what it's trying to do with its 
own real and its own fiat money? The government has been very proactive. Uh, the the market regulator has created a sandbox and has been a lot of uh, work done in a progressive way from the government, but it still is in a governmental pace. So it takes longer to adapt and to accept innovation as we would wish <laughs> because like things happen so quickly and especially on the crypto uh, side of the market and NF NFTs, like and other the metaverse and the centralized finance, uh, will the government will be <laughs> slowly to catch up. But we do, I do see as being benefit to create a framework uh, for guidance for the ones that want to do good and use that technology for the good being highlighted and those experiences being broadcast into other countries that uh, have the same challenges. Like people before, we used to see just the speculative side, like with the tradings and currencies, which the government is afraid, is still afraid to protect uh, investors and, and really make sure that the people are not taking too much risk or being scammed. Like, so the government wants to protect that, but it would be also good to, to create those uh, regulatory frameworks where uh, companies like mine do feel comfortable to create and innovate and being uh, disruptive as as we can, like under the those those frameworks. So I I do see with good eyes there. Well, we'll, <laughs> they they should be faster. <laughs> that, that is my point. Of view. That is definitely the tension that exists right now. It, it's this dance, this very delicate dance between regulators and innovators such as yourself. And, and I think both will agree that one needs each other at the end of the day um, for, for the growth in the industry, for, for mass adoption in the industry. But one thing about mass adoption that I wanted to ask you about was definitely one of the biggest Bitcoin news this year, El Salvador's recognition of Bitcoin as legal tender. Since then, we've seen a lot of Latin American nations and politicians even voicing support and even hinting at the possibility of following suit and, and adopting Bitcoin as a currency. What, what is the public perception of Bitcoin and crypto in Latin America? If you could kind of share with us this perspective um, and, and why, why, you know, what is it growing up even for yourself and just also the instability of the system in Latin America that, that kind of lends to this interest in potentially using Bitcoin as a national currency? Yes, now that more uh, institutions and, and global institutions are looking differently uh, at blockchain and Bitcoin, uh, people are perceiving with a, in a more positive aspect after Elon Musk and also, as you mentioned, El Salvador, like declaring uh, uh, the things like is super positive, but you do need to create the infrastructure as well. Like you can announce, okay, everybody, <laughs> like we are ready to accept Bitcoin, but who will hold the private keys and who help the people to understand the risk of holding or not holding their own private keys? Like, so there are many underlining aspects that people are not teaching how to use it and this can be a risk too you gotta be prepared not with only with the announcement but also with the infrastructure necessary for people to use that for good 
So that's why I see like uh, the technologies we have been building to kind of be this bridge, like for institutions and other fintechs that do want to accept and enter into this world and want to do the custody and like have all the safe and secure methods they can come to us like today and like we can support because we have been on this journey and to navigate in both uh, industries. But you need uh, to prepare the people with education because it's still is uh, environment and a market that has like hundreds of thousands of coins that in projects there that do good and other projects that you need to study and see the, the risk of them too. So I see as super positive that people look at two cryptocurrencies now with a different eye because they see not the just the speculative part, but now they see the, the technology as being benefit for the accountability to track and measure products, logistics, and other things that people would not have access uh, before to be happening. But I do see the government supporting and supporting the people with education and infrastructure to join this movement, they, everybody will be benefit uh, to that. And another benefit I wanted to ask you and get back to the ESG part of what you're doing, just a lot of real interest about crypto and the carbon footprint that it also um, has uh, on the environment and the like and those concerns. What are those ESG concerns? What are those carbon footprint concerns that, that you're trying to be thoughtful about and, and how you potentially could help mitigate? Yes, no, absolutely, especially now with the COP26 and people being aware about the climate change consequences that will affect all of us, not only people from the government that are now deciding, but all of us. And it's into the small decisions, the daily decisions that we can do the change, being investment decisions or consumption, the product consumption decision. So if we can look to products today that they do uh, less impact in our environment and benefit more people to support in our environment, uh, those are the products that we should be buying and investments that we should be making into companies that do benefit uh, Amazonia and to do benefit like to protect other areas like in the world. And yes, we can through blockchain, like overshare those informations. Uh, I think every information is, is good. Public being public or being given by the companies uh, in a strategic way. We have Down Jones sustainability. We have like many uh, uh, stock markets that are now looking to implement metrics and in indexations and can algorithms to support those companies and to be highlighted. But there is a lot to do in to include ESG assets into the common people portfolio. And that's what we have been trying to do and being democratic in a way that people can invest and access that kind of uh, sustainable green assets. Uh, the carbon credit is, is not regulated in many countries and they don't, it's not existent in many countries as well creating a global framework and a global marketplace for the carbon uh, credits that will be amazing, but not only to compensate carbon, but also to invest in people to protect the areas we need to look into those things 
uh, as well. Like you can plant uh, trees in a billionaire's uh, farm, <laughs> but also would be good to help the small agriculture farm holders to protect their farm and not uh, only planting monoculture, but also uh, bringing syntropic and like other types of cultivation for the crops that are more sustainable over time. So there is a lot to do. But yes, the, the technology can support and help uh, on a daily basis. There's a flexibility and a speed in which you can enter these partnerships. Um, you know, one of the partnerships that you mentioned is with Brazilian forestry manager 3Agro to create NFTs out of tokenizing the production of freeze-dried Asahi, for example, to help preserve the Amazon rainforest. Um, you know, these are the actual things that you could offer up customers and create a community around it. And, and I think that that's really one of the really important aspects of, of blockchain and crypto is that there really is a community feeling around it. And because of smart contracts and because of, um, you know, obviously the smart contract nature of the, the functionality of some of these protocols means that I can trust that when I say that I'm investing or that I want to participate in it, it's actually being done. Yes, no, absolutely. We were pioneers into that, was the first NFT for the Amazonia rainforest uh, region. So by uh, purchasing one FT, NFT, the investor can get access not to plant uh, 1,200 trees, uh, acai trees in that region is equivalent to one hectare, but also participate in the revenue of the sales of the acai pounder product in, in the end of every six months. So that is a, one of the economic models that we can see how sustainable that they can be through the future, not only for compensate carbon credit, but also to uh, support entrepreneurs into the region to uh, continue in their businesses in a sustainable way. They plant not only acai, but like a range of other things into a syntropic way, which is super sustainable for the crop, brings more nutrients, and people can uh, get to see like how other practices uh, can be sustainable. We can share that, and the investors will benefit not only with the financial returns into the project, but also contribute uh, in a sustainable way for the Amazon. So those types of uh, assets, uh, is, uh, I'm passionate to, to build like technology and to see that to support uh, people and individuals and businesses, uh, especially in the areas that need it the most. Yeah. Tina, I want to. I I kind of want to bring it back full circle because you know it all started with the frustration you felt as a little girl growing up in a system that disenfranchised a lot of people, disenfranchised a lot of women, and you know kind of railroaded a lot of people into a traditional structure. You recently spoke at Hong Kong FinTech Week, uh, you know, along with myself and and you know so many great leaders in blockchain. Um, how has this become a global phenomenon um, that allows you to take this idea that was really seeded in Brazil and bring it to an international audience? What's, what's, your, what's your vision um, there and, and how do you view Asia? Yeah, I see that is a lot of 
courage and persistence <laughs> because it's, it's like in our expansion plan uh, now i feel ready because we develop so many like beautiful technology to do and to be that uh, bridge uh, between the traditional way and to people to get access and the adoption to be quick with a well-designed app but also the the other way to access the crypto world and to bring crypto to to those challenges and issues in the real world too. So connecting and creating that bridge between the metaverse and the real world, <laughs> like I do see today we have uh, the proper infrastructure to do so. And we want uh, to bring to other countries, Latin America and Asia, like most of our investors today are from Asia. And I'm super thankful for that because one day I asked a question to one of our investors. Uh, why did you invest in, in Moeda? Like the thing will be like in the other side of the world. And he said to me, like, if you put this, what you wrote on the white paper, if this works, like my fourth generation can be benefit from that. And that's why I invested on you. And that was, I found it was so beautiful because he could see like in, in a long term, the vision of helping not just one generation, but he told me the fourth generation. So I, I was a very special moment that I do see in a long term how how things that we are creating in a collaborative way and like being able now to share with other our experience and our technology with other countries. This for me is where my my heart is today is into building technology to serve people and that is aligned with my personal mission uh as well so i do see as a as a bigger and broader like opportunity for many people that can benefit of what we do today and i'm very excited to now to expand uh what we have done well, it's amazing to see how how far you have come since uh you know it goes many years ago in 2017 the icos that a lot of people during that phase, um, you know, didn't have projects that survived and, and yours did. And what you've created uh, is now starting to reach an international audience. Um, but I think it just boils down to that dream that you had, uh, which is we can do better. And, uh, and when we think about that, it's, it's all about access. It's, can we give people better access? And I, I think you've, you've definitely started uh, us on that journey um, and what we're seeing in Brazil. So good for you. What's next? What's next for you? Next right now is to expand. I can't wait to see our, our technology benefiting other people and bringing more projects from all over the world to our portfolio and to share that the learnings and experiences with people from all over the world. I do see in, in Africa, in like Southeast Asia and India and Latin America, I uh, will do so, so well, like to contribute to other companies, fintechs, uh, payment providers. I do want to see uh, the, the gender calculator being everywhere into other marketplaces so people can get to know the products they are buying and how it's benefiting women and how this is being sustainable. I want to see uh, people on a daily basis not thinking about impact investment in the future. They will just do it naturally because it's part of their day-to-day -day portfolio of 
average banking products. I want to see my children and my grandchildren uh, showing me, Mom, this is my NFT. See my drawings, see the music, see I'm helping the Amazonia, like a, a range of a beautiful NFT gallery that I would see like in, in the future, like connecting to many worlds and many people and connecting them to do good uh, together. Like many of the challenges that can be gamified <laughs> and, and benefit the real world uh, in, in a sense of a collective uh, work uh, towards many of the objectives that we see, not only in climate change, but ending poverty, hunger, many of the things that are possible uh, with uh, technology and with people uh, being uh, the humans <laughs> that are behind the technology and <laughs> supporting that uh, uh, to cooperate and for the greater good. To say that it is rare to hear this kind of language coming from the CEO of a bank is, uh, <laughs> is probably a little understated, but um, <laughs> this, this, is, this is what this technology brings, uh, which, is, which is a different choice. Um, and different perspectives and also important philosophies that a lot of people resonate with. And if that's your consumer who are sharing liquidity with you based on that, uh, it's, a, it's a whole redefinition of this space. Tainares of Moeda Bank, thank you so much for sharing the story, your vision, what's happening in Brazil, Latin America, how that also translates to Southeast Asia and large swaths of Asia that we're also seeing with so many people unbanked um, and really giving us a glimpse of, of the future of banking. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's a pleasure. Um, let me know any partnerships and any uh, people that are seeing us right now that would uh, think that can be benefit from our technology. I'm happy uh, to share more about it and to learn and to contribute uh, in other countries as well, looking for uh, partners uh, to, to do this in a, in a successful way. Like, thank you so much. This is, this is a good start for research and homework for, for those who are interested. <laughs> Tana, thank you so much. And everyone, thank you so much for joining us on this latest episode of Word on the Block. I'm Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau. Until the next time. <laughs>